okay. That's no <laughs> wrong. Okay, tone. <laughs> <laughs> okay, There's... okay, okay. Which one? Okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I say okay a lot in this podcast. Okay, all right. <laughs> oh. oh my gosh. Welcome back to the Modern Lady Podcast. You're listening to episode 103. Hi, I'm Michelle. And I'm Lindsay. And today we are talking about humility. Nelson Mandela once famously said, quote, The first thing is to be honest with yourself. You can never have an impact on society if you have not changed yourself. Great peacemakers are all people of integrity, of honesty, and humility. End quote. Looking around our world today, we could certainly admit that we may be in rather dire need of these things culturally. But where do we begin? Well, as always, if we want to change the world for the better, we have to start a little closer to home, with ourselves and perhaps a slice of humble pie. But first, this podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. How about you? Do you want more from The Modern Lady? Become a Patreon supporter, and for just $5 a month, you will have exclusive access to our sister podcast, The Friday Finishing School. Find us by going to patreon.com forward slash The Modern Lady Podcast. Another way that you can support this show is by subscribing to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts so that you never miss an episode. We are also so thankful for every rating, review, and comment you leave us. Your reviews on iTunes help new listeners discover us. This week's shout out goes to Amy, who left us a comment on Facebook under last week's episode post on happy hormones and said, quote, Hey, Lindsay and Michelle, I just want to say that there is a lot of pseudoscience around hormones and biology in general, and you two seriously nailed it once again on the research. I know you guys are critical thinkers and have the ability to seek out credible sources, as seen in several other episodes, but it is always so refreshing to listen to a podcast and not have to eye roll when someone says something that's been disproven, often repeatedly, as if it's a fact. Keep up the amazing work. I'm off to love a bunch of Facebook posts and maybe help some people release a bit of that oxytocin." End quote. Well, thank you so much, Amy, for your message. We have certainly learned a lot over the course of this podcast about researching and critical thinking ourselves. And we're always so grateful for our listeners like you who are also interested in looking into these things honestly and having fascinating discussions with us about these topics. And if you would like to leave us a comment, you can do so on our website, www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com. Or you can leave us a comment on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube, where you can find us at The Modern Lady Podcast. But before we get into today's chat, Lindsay has our Modern Lady Tip of the Week. When the first president of the United States, George Washington, was just 14 years old, he copied out the 110 rules of civility in his school book. Now, while I won't read all 110 rules, I will share a few of them so that we can have a glimpse at mid-18th century American etiquette. Rule number two. When in company, put not your hands to any part of the body not usually discovered. I think that means that we only touch the public parts of our body in public. Rule number six. 
Sleep not when others speak. Sit not when others stand. Speak not when you should hold your peace and walk not when others stop. Rule number nine, spit not in the fire, nor stoop low before it, neither put your hands into the flames to warm them, nor set your feet upon the fire, especially if there be meat before it. Now here's an important one, rule number 13. Kill no vermin as fleas, lice, ticks in the sight of others. If you do see any filth or thick spittle, put your foot dexterously upon it. Be upon the clothes of your companions, put it off privately, and if it be upon your own clothes, return thanks to him who puts it off. I guess, so yeah, if, if you see a tick or uh, some lice on someone, just gently take it off their clothes for them. And then if somebody does that for you, remember to be thankful. And we will be continuing on with more of these in a few future, future episodes because there's just so much to unpack in these 110 rules for civility. But I feel like there is a very much different tone than with the Victorian etiquette, which is very, I guess, decidedly upper class. These rules do seem like something more that just everyone should consider. They just seem very equal opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does it feels like he's just saying what we're all thinking in yeah. some of these rules of civility, especially number two. Just keep yeah. your hands where we can see them. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> and don't put your feet near the meat. <laughs> right. We're all thinking it. George yeah. Washington just says it. Thank you, George Washington. <laughs> oh, that's great. An article on Forbes.com titled 13 Habits of Humble People opens with this, quote, Humble people can receive a bad rap. Humility is frequently associated with being too passive, submissive, or insecure, but this couldn't be further from the truth, end quote. Now, we totally agree, but it does beg the question then, what is true humility and why should we care? We've been wanting to record this episode for quite a while, actually, because there is so much to cover. So this episode will be part one, and we'll go a bit deeper into the particular practical aspects of how it fits into our lives a little bit more next week. All this to say, it does seem that we have a rather confused understanding of humility today, right, Lindsay? Yeah, if there is truly one thing I've been chasing for years now, it's humility. Um, but I've learned that it isn't enough to just try to subdue and overcome my pride, right? I've been really working on that too. But I've had to learn about and then like actively cultivate humility in the gigantic void where all right. of my pride <laughs> has been sitting. Um, so yeah, because they... There's so much I think that is misunderstood, so much to learn. And so we think that just, you know, squashing out our pride is is humility. And it's not. Humility is its whole own thing. So I think mm -hmm. humility is is often one of the most misunderstood virtues that is there. And yet it is often said by most of the saints um, that it is the one most necessary for our sanctification. Now, if you've never heard the word sanctification, what we mean by that is that it's it's how we go holier through our lifetimes as we try to draw as close to Jesus as possible throughout our life. Um, and so they say that humility is the number one way to achieve that, to achieve that, that lifelong goal of holiness. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, Mother Teresa, and I know some other saints as well, call humility the mother of all virtues, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And she says, actually, that it is in being humble that our love becomes real, devoted, and ardent, and that if we are humble, nothing will touch you, neither praise nor disgrace, because you know what you are, oh, end yes. quote. And yes. I think... That's true. That's why it is the starting point of cultivating all the other virtues, the mother of all virtues, because, you know, the opposite of humility is pride. And that's just so stuck in your own head. How can you possibly cultivate other virtues Mm. (laughs) when you're not even capable of thinking of other people, I guess, Mm -hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, the book I referenced the most in my research that I will talk about again and again throughout this episode, um, and it has been recommended to me by pretty much every priest I've ever talked to who instantly saw my pride. Um, it's called Humility of Heart, and it was written by a father, Katjen Neri de Bergamo. And it was written, oh gosh, I think a couple hundred years ago, but it was translated in the early 1900s by a Cardinal Vaughn. And mm. in it, he writes... Quote, in paradise, there are many saints who never gave alms on earth. Their poverty justified them. There are many saints who never mortified their bodies by fasting or wearing hair shirts. Their bodily infirmities excused them. There are many saints who were not virgins. Their vocation was otherwise. But in paradise, there is no saint who was not humble. It is the mother of all virtues. Like you're saying, it is the gateway to a virtuous life. It is the building block. It is the cornerstone, right? It is the foundation. Mm -hmm. We have to start with humility. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just an interesting point here. I was listening to a homily for research for this episode on census fidelium, which we may also end up referencing quite a lot Mm -hmm. (laughs) in these episodes too. Um, But the priest doing this particular homily was talking about this, how humility feeds all the other virtues. Certainly the three theological virtues, which are faith, hope, and charity. Um, But also he goes into how the four cardinal virtues, the one that deal with, you know, um, the humanity aspect of our lives, the prudence, the justice and the fortitude and temperance, right? So he talks about like the humble man relies on humility for prudence because they reflect and take counsel before acting. They're willing to go to someone else and ask for their opinion. Whereas the proud think that their first instinct is always the right one. Mm -hmm. Um, This also moderates your actions. Therefore temperance is included. Uh, justice, you know, someone who is proud exaggerates his own rights to the detriment of his neighbor. They can't see true justice. And then in fortitude, the idea that strength and bravery comes from God and not man, this acknowledgement of that. So I, yeah, there's a lot to be said about um, humility being the base and the starting point. Uh, So I'm really glad that we're tackling this one. And um, hopefully from that, we can see where it takes us. Mm -hmm. I think something interesting to point out actually about census fidelium, which is, you know, a longtime favorite of ours on YouTube. um, And it is filled with, um, I want to say mostly traditionalist Catholic priests and their homilies and their talks. They're just all excellent. But the thing is those priests actually are not named 
And this is a mm-hmm. ver- the very act of their humility. They don't want yes. to become celebrity priests. So like what you just said, some priests, like we never actually know, unless you're a super fan and you have identified a few of the voices, <laughs> like right. a few of us had, um, have, but <laughs> these priests don't want to be known for their preaching, for their message. They don't want that kind of fame that can actually happen when you're saying such revolutionary things like they are. So yeah, they are, it's never mentioned what church they're at or what their names are. Um, it's just truly anonymous preaching, which I think is really, really mm-hmm cool about census fidelium yeah it's not just that we're doing a poor job of citing them (laughs) some priests said on no we legitimately don't know who it is that's right yeah yeah (laughs) so i thought something was interesting too and, and i read that unlike other virtues or shall we say like good works um that we can measure right? We can say, yeah, I've been obedient in, the, obedient in this, 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 or I have fasted like this, or I've offered up this suffering. We can't accurately measure our humility because the more we grow in humility, the more we should ignore that we're growing in humility, the less we should actually contemplate uh, our growth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's a tendency I know within myself to become proud of how humble <laughs> I'm becoming. So right. <laughs> it's something we have to tread very carefully in. That's right. Didn't someone, um, when you posted this on Facebook, someone mm-hmm. commented that their husband has a shirt that says, mm-hmm. I'm more humble than you, yeah. <laughs> which is hilarious. Yes. Yeah, it totally is. <laughs> yeah. So uh, actually at this point, we should probably just talk a little bit about what humility is. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's interesting because often I will go into just the Google search bar and I'll click the definition of whatever topic we're doing because I want to know what generally the population what they think about it how Mm -hmm. would they define it and there's not much from secular sources right um the that google definition for humility came up as basically a low view of one's own importance so i think those definitions are on the right track maybe but just maybe they're incomplete i think this problem actually stems from the eradication of God in our society and how we actually have trouble defining some things secularly in the context of no God anymore. So this is a great example, right? Because if we take it back a step and put God back into the picture, as St. Thomas Aquinas puts it, humility is seeing ourselves as God sees us, essentially. So in this context, in relation to who God himself is, then yeah, we are probably going to fall lower on the scale of greatness than where our own ego put us in the first place. And so yes, humility would be a lower view of your own importance, but not in a degrading way. It's in a realistic, in the context of how God sees us way. So C.S. Lewis, my last point, C.S. Lewis puts it a good way. He says, quote, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less, end quote. So to be humble then means that you're more preoccupied with knowing how God sees you and the world than how you are seeing yourself and the world. It's funny because I had that quote, um, that C.S. Lewis quote in my notes, but it wasn't attributed to anybody. It was just like forwarded on Facebook. So I'm like, from Facebook, I found this quote. So I'm glad to know it's a C.S. Lewis quote. That's right. Is he on Census Fidelium too? (laughs) Theologian. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I think what you said is really striking. And this is what I actually found... um, complicated my research with this topic more than any other topic we've done because I still have a foot 
very strongly in the secular world. I only came into Christianity and started practicing my faith as a Catholic in my early thirties. I'd already been married for gosh, seven years. I had three kids at that point. Like it was still pretty new for me. So when, um, I, I always think, well, how do non-Catholics or non-Catholic Christians view this? And so like you, when you Google this, there's almost nothing talked about this in the secular world, but then you Google it in a Catholic sense. And I can't speak for other mm-hmm. denominations, but in a Catholic sense, and there is <laughs> 2000 years worth of information about humility. And so I think that it's one of these topics that is actually incredibly, um, I don't want to use the word polarizing, but something that's very different actually in the secular world than in a Catholic world. Now, this led me to the question, do non-Catholics even then consider humility? Does it ever even come up in discussions? Mm. So I'm wondering, like, for those of you who are listening, maybe perhaps first the non-Catholic Christians, like, ask yourself, has your pastor ever preached about humility? Is it something you've heard about regularly? Is it something that they've maybe worked with you on and growing? And then for our non-religious listeners, and we have plenty of you, hello, we love you. Um, (laughs) Have you ever considered humility? Like, I just find that so fascinating. So when I turned my thoughts back to the secular world, I kept going back to the self-help market, right? That's like Mm. the area that this would technically fit into if it was in an area. And that industry is worth $40 billion. And you can find self-help books on almost every single topic. But when I looked up humility on Amazon, the only handful of books there are just Christian books. There are no secular Mm. books about humility that I found that really to come up in an Amazon search. So again, I wondered, is it just not talked about in the secular world? Like, I feel like we talk about it weekly, right? Between Mm -hmm. you and I as just friends and with our other Catholic friends. My own experience as an atheist um, informs me that in the world, it's all about competing for success, for rising to the top, for having great self-confidence and self-esteem. It's about self-love and self-care. It's about living your truth and looking out for yourself. Self, 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 self. Like that is so clearly the message that I remember being drilled into me from every side when I was mm. um, an atheist and in the secular world. And I think that there's a reason why people aren't writing books on humility, because who wants to spend their money reading a book that points out every way that you are failing, right. <laughs> your smallness, your Best weaknesses, seller. right? Bestseller. <laughs> because it feels like everything in the world today, right now, is meant to make us feel better, right? Mm. We pay psychologists and therapists $40 billion. And yep, that's the same amount as self-help books. I looked up both industries a year to help validate our feelings. Now, before you go, but Lindsay, I know they do much more than that. I'm not saying that. A lot of it is just having somebody say that you're okay, right? You're mm-hmm. okay. They're validating your feelings. Now, then I looked at the global beauty industry and it's worth 532 billion dollars. That's a lot more than the 40 billion for psychology and self-help books. Um, We're bleeding ourselves dry, trying to feel better, but Mm. I'd be willing to guess that for most of us, it's not working or they wouldn't be continuously churning out new product in all of those industries. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's this capitalization on an area where we're pretty vulnerable, right? Yeah. Um, which should fill us with a, a healthy wariness, maybe, going forward of these industries. I know what you're saying. Like, um, sometimes you need affirmation that what you're feeling is not 
in your own head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. Right. And that, and that's good. And I know we've talked about self-help books before. Um, and we acknowledge that while they help with the affirmation bit, they kind of leave us there. So yeah. I think what we have been learning about humility is that this is the good first step of the next step of that's then right. what are you going to do right. about it? Right. Cause you can read a self-help book, but no one picks up a self-help book and wants to stay there forever. Yeah. Actually, Michelle, you're so right. Because when I was reading about humility, one thing that actually jumped out at me, and it didn't even fully make sense until right now, until you were saying that, is that the author was saying that it's actually incredibly, our natural inclination is to actually feel bad about ourselves, <laughs> which I think is oh. why everybody's paying to not feel bad about themselves. So actually trying to journey into humility is is actually a lot easier than we think because it is in our natural inclination to list everything that we think is wrong with us. So I think then we do that, but we turn the wrong way. We either try then mm. to just ignore those things or we put the blame on everybody else or whatever. And what working through humility does is that you lean into those things and then you try to fix them within yourself with a bunch of different tools that aren't necessarily available in the secular world. So you're right. We're not discrediting those books or any of that work, but you're right. They do take you to a certain point. And what we're suggesting here is that this is the next step after that. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting thinking about how we digest this concept of humility in this in a secular sense. Um, St. Thomas Aquinas, again, he says, you know, whatever is good in us comes from God and is a gift. And that reminded me of um, a priest on census fidelium mm-hmm. who I don't know who it is. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, they always begin their homilies, right, with all the good things from this talk or this homily come from God and any error is mine. That's right. And so that's the natural conclusion from saying that, like, all the good in us comes from God. And we in our humanity, we tend to be finite and to make mistakes. Um, so I think when we look at our lives like this, it helps us to understand we need to cultivate gratitude for what's good. But then also it means that we have to accept that we have a great need for help in overcoming yeah. our weaknesses and limitations. That's not something that the culture um, promotes, right? We're, we're not taught to think that we are weak or limited or that's in need right. of help in any way. Uh, and that's arrogance. Arrogance says that we don't need help because we're good already by our yeah. own estimation and by our own merits. We have no need for help. Um, and again, framing it in the context of God, then we have no need for a savior. We don't need to be saved. We can we can do this ourselves. Right. And and we are fed that message all the time in the secular world. But again, when you look at a $40 billion industry, we realize it's not working, right? So people keep yeah, getting fed that true. message. You can do it on your own. You're strong. But if that were working, it wouldn't keep um, resulting in having to rework that message over and over again. So what we're proposing is something radical. It really is radical because it is so contrary to what the world is saying. So mm-hmm. it, it's almost like instead of making a list of everything that you love about yourselves, which a lot of people are doing right now as well. Um, We've done, I think, harder work here at making a list of everything, uh, of seeing ourselves as who we really are. And there is a movement, of course, right now of self-love, of of really seeing our, I'm going to say, physical and emotional deformities. And I'm using that in a very theological sense. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that there isn't value in that and seeing those things and loving ourselves with those things, but we're saying it doesn't just stop there. Um, there are things that we shouldn't love that are simply not good. 
that are within us. We shouldn't love or celebrate the parts of us that are not good, that are at fault. And the truth is there is a lot in all of us that we should change. And so we think that there are a few steps for growing in humility that can make a massive impact on your life and on the people you love and on your community. Mm-hmm. Okay. So for years, I thought that I had to go around groveling and I'm not being dramatic here. This is what I really thought. I thought I had to go around groveling that basically I had to hate myself. I really thought that by focusing solely on every way that I'm failing on every sin that I've ever sinned and on every defect that I have, that I would conquer my pride, that I had to swing that pendulum so far the other way, but pride, especially my pride, um, is a sneaky beast. And something was happening to me as I was approaching my 40th birthday that I wasn't expecting. And it was a bit of a revelation, a slow, I guess, dawning within me that there are things that I'm actually naturally good at. It's like the new confidence of the women in their forties. Um, mm. that, yeah, there are things I'm actually good at and there are things that I've worked hard at and that I'm experiencing some success at that I want to celebrate. And that there are things that are truly beautiful about me as I age that I'm loving that I have talents and skills. And I didn't quite know how to square those feelings, which I considered to be prideful with my quest for humility. And it just turned out that I just didn't understand humility or pride at all. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's true, because I think going back to that negative connotation, right, that mm-hmm. humility has in in society and in culture, um, we think it means degrading ourselves, right? essentially, like to think that you're lower than dirt. If you're looking at yourself, though, the true term of humility Um, How God sees you, like you said, that's way too far on the other side of the pendulum. Mm. That's not how God sees you either. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He doesn't Mm -hmm. see you as lower than dirt and worthless. So that's taking it completely the wrong way as well. So, yeah, you're right. Um, Recognizing you need to grow in humility and then actually knowing then how to do that are uh, two very important steps, but two different things. In that book, again, Humility of Heart. It is described as the alphabet out of which every other virtue is formed. It is the good ground on which the divine sower goes to sow his seed. So that was really symbolic for me of this idea of like seeing yourself, how God sees you kind of clearing the ground, right? Really think about farming using, this is why Jesus used parables. Like they work for people like me. Right. And so it's like. (laughs) You have to clear away the weeds and the dead stuff and get that all out of there. And then when the soil is ready, and that is soil that has been cultivated with um, humility, then our Lord can plant those good seeds in it. Um, It is just, again, this incredible starting place. Okay, so then how do we grow in humility? Um, So we've been saying this all along. I think you and I both agree that the first step is seeing yourself in relation to others. But then furthermore, for us Christians, it's seeing ourselves in relation to God. There has been a temptation over the past few decades to bring God down to us, to bring him down to our level. And I know you're saying, well, Lindsay, didn't God do that when the word was made flesh and when he dwelt among us? Yeah, God became a man and Jesus walked this earth fully human and fully divine. But Jesus didn't take on our baseness. While he was indeed human, he was the perfect human. We are meant to raise ourselves up to his example and not bring him down to ours. And I've seen the same thing happening in Catholic world with Mary as well. We can relate to them. We can enter into a personal relationship with them, but we are always lifting our eyes up 
towards them and our will and our intentions and our growth. We don't bring them down to us. And so when we do that, then we see ourselves more clearly, right? We can only see our position in relation to God when we look up to him. And it isn't like you're saying, it's not a looking down on ourselves then per se. It's just seeing everything in perspective. Hmm. That's a good point because this is making me realize now that not only is it seeing yourself as God sees you, but also the other half of humility is seeing God for who he is then, mm-hmm. truly, mm-hmm. right? And having a, a very uh, true vision and knowledge of who he is and not just what we imagine him to be. Yeah. And I think that when we consider God, and I think it is important that we consider um, others, and we'll get to the lives of the saints and looking at them as well. But there's something else to consider. So I read in Humility of Heart that in a corrupt world, even someone just a little bit good, or just a little bit more virtuous than what everybody else appears to be, can pride themselves on being so much better than everyone else. But they really aren't that virtuous. They're just slightly better because the world is in such a state. And that's me. Like, I am really good at that. I am really good at telling myself, well, compared to this person and this person, I'm doing so well. And how awful is that? Like, Mm. I'm so glad I've had this chance to reflect on this writing this episode. I can only compare myself to the ultimate example of perfect humanity, and that is Jesus Christ. And so when I am doing my little examination of conscience before confession, which we'll talk about in a little bit, um, I used to look around and go, well, I'm not that bad, right? Because we do. We look Mm. at everybody else around us. But nope, that is not who I should be (laughs) comparing myself to when I am considering my faults. Yeah, it's like when the saints talk about um, holding yourself up as glass to the sun. Right. Mm. If you're <laughs> if you're looking at it um, outside of the light, it looks pretty clean. Um, but when you hold that glass up to the light, the sunlight, <laughs> oh, yeah. you can see all the streaks and the watermarks and the dirt and the dust that settled on, and you have a pretty clear picture. So, <laughs> yeah, that is that is the litmus test of who we should be holding ourselves up to um, in terms of our standards for ourselves. And this actually, I saw this mentioned on online to have um, a mistrust of yourself. Mm. And it reminded me of something my spiritual director told me once to be critical of my own motivations. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> the way I took it, right? So yeah. <laughs> it's just meaning to be careful not to make, you know, make a display of our gifts, but yeah. only strive to be useful and to do good. And measure everything by those standards. And so then that makes you question, why am I doing these things? Why am I not doing those good things? And when you're honest about your answer, you'll see whether these choices are born out of pride or sloth or whether they are legitimate. And so again, in this one, I keep listening to our conversation and reading my own notes from like a secular perspective and then our Catholic perspective. And again, I find like this topic to be one of the most interesting ones from both points of view, because I, I think that, and I'd love to know if this is really the first time many of our non-Catholic listeners have heard the word humility and have heard this type of discussion. And so I actually put that on Facebook, just on my own Facebook page. Um, yesterday, I just asked if my atheist friends and non-Catholic uh, Christian friends have heard about humility. So I have 500 Facebook friends from all different backgrounds, from all different stages of my life. And I, and there was only two to three people who responded that it is something that they've considered 
or that they might be working on a little bit, but don't really have any active plan to grow in humility. And I think this is really interesting because less than 24 hours before that, and I didn't do this as an ex- as an experiment, I want to say this, um, <laughs> but less than, I did realize this when reviewing my, my own Facebook page. So less than 24 hours before that, I had written a question about um, ticks and Lyme disease, and I had 74 comments. And then shortly after that, I wrote a question about classic novels and literature, and there were 58 comments. And then I put last night a picture of the brownies that my daughter made, and there were 24 comments. And I thought, okay, so... But when you mention humility, there was out of the 500 people, two to three people who commented on it. And so I think that it's so important that we start this discussion here. And I want to appeal to all of our listeners. And again, we love that we have non-Catholics who listen. I think that this is like one of the most exciting things to me, having come so late into the faith that I totally get you still. But I want to ask you, if you can't contemplate your existence next to God, because you're just not there, to maybe contemplate your existence in relation to the great and ornate detail, the complicated beauty of the natural world around you. And then I ask you to study and look at the wise and brave and virtuous men and women that have come before you and gone before you. And then hold yourself up to their examples. See yourself in relation to those things and recognize your place for better or for worse. And see yourself um, within yourself where the message differs from what you'll read in those self-help books. But don't just stop there, right? Um, Mm -hmm. try in your own way to figure out your perspective to the greater world around you. I think this is such a, it's so critically important in our faith life that we do this, that I think it's so life-changing for even non-Catholics to really take some information from this episode and, and work on it within themselves in a, in a new way. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's true. Well, in regards to your Facebook posts, maybe we were just like super concerned about ticks and dreaming about brownies. <laughs> very good things. Right. I mean, no, the brownies are good things. Being concerned about ticks also very timely right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But, you know, in all seriousness, though, it is interesting. And I do wonder if the point that we made at the very beginning of this episode, just that it's humility is often misunderstood and often yeah. taken in a negative light that may have fostered that kind of natural aversion to wanting yeah. to talk about it because we don't see it as something good. We don't see it as something virtuous right now. And yeah. so either we've just not thought about it or truly like somewhere inside of us on a natural level, we kind of shy away from wanting to open the discussion on that. Okay. So I'd mentioned reading the lives of the saints or for our non-Catholic friends, looking to people like your original quote was from Nelson Mandela, right? Like, so looking Mm -hmm. at people who've had this incredible impact on the world and throughout history, but I, it's something particular about the lives of the saints. And one of the things as a history lover that jumps out to me is that there's very little documentation throughout history of the lives of, of, seemingly ordinary people. Their lives weren't written down about, right? We've talked about this on past episodes, but when someone in the Catholic church goes through the canonization canonization process, which is in itself something, if you're ever bored, research the whole process because it mm. is fascinating. If I don't yeah. know if you guys know this, but that's where the term the devil's advocate came, comes from and everything. It's a fascinating process. So due to the extensive investigative nature of the canonization process, um, 
these people who were just mostly everyday people, some were kings and queens um, or nobility, but most of them were just everyday people. Their everyday lives are written about in detail. And you really don't get that slice of ordinary life in any other historical documents. And so mm-hmm. you can read about these people who are just like you and I. And so I, I find their stories to be incredibly compelling. And there's a lot of days where I'm like, oh, I don't need to read about this person. But as soon as I do, every <laughs> single time, I'm blown away <laughs> by how they overcame adversity, how they led their communities, how they gave away all of their belongings to serve the poor, like something remarkable, truly something saintly. And I just can't think of a single person who wouldn't benefit from reading about these everyday people who did extraordinary things. So the lives of the saints, you can read that anywhere. You can look up any of them. One place you could start with if you've never done this before is that you could just Google uh, who is the saint associated with, you know, blank, fill in whatever fault it is that you're deciding to overcome. And trust me, you'll get a lot of information (laughs) pop up. (laughs) I feel like the saints are really just waiting for that Mm -hmm. Google inquiry, right? Yeah, they love Google. (laughs) Oh, they love Google. It's just opened up a path of communication to them that may have not been present before. Yeah. But It is very fortunate for us to have these examples, right? Because it shows us that these things that we're talking about that may seem really lofty and uh, unattainable are actually possible for us. Um, Not on our own merit, perhaps, but uh, if we start to explore and we deeply desire to know um, that it is possible. Okay. So here it is again, guys, the prayer... (laughs) That we shall not name. <laughs> the prayer that shall not be named. Not be named. We have Once said again. This. <laughs> yep. So I'm shaking. I'm shaking to even say it. But it is, okay, we have to name it. It is the litany of humility. I'm seeing it popping up everywhere over this last month. A lot more people are talking about it. And it's the same amount of trepidation because anybody who's prayed it a few times knows exactly what we're talking about. But if you have never read it, it says... Deliver me, O Jesus. And then you repeat that um, as a litany. And there's a whole list of things that you're asking that Jesus deliver you from, like from the desire of being honored, praised, from being preferred to others, from being consulted. And then you say, deliver me, O Jesus, from the fear of being despised, forgotten, ridiculed, wronged. And then we pray that Jesus give us the grace to desire that others may be loved more than we are. Or in the opinion of the world, others may increase and I decrease, that others may be praised while I go unnoticed, that others may be preferred to me in everything, in everything. So, wow, again, if you aren't religious, you must even admit that meditating on those very things is very powerful. So again, if it's new for you, I really recommend you look up the litany of humility. Um, And for Catholic listeners, pray it often, like once a week. I've heard of some people writing their own litanies, which Mm. I think is really cool as well, using that same format, but really making it specific to the things that they're trying to overcome and cultivate within themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that line in the litany of humility of Lord grant me the grace to desire it. Because mm-hmm. once again, we know that we struggle mm-hmm. sometimes even in desiring to be good and grow. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and that the church and our Lord knows this and it re- is reflected even in our prayers. But yeah, so to go over those lines, like to desire that others be better than myself, mm-hmm. that others get more attention than I do, that other, that I be set aside and others chosen instead of me. 
these are really hard vices to fight against, you know, both in our fallen humanity and our limitations as human beings. But also, like we've been saying, culturally, when everything else in the world screams at us to want otherwise. So, you know, I find it encouraging that like children, we can go to a good father, our good father, and ask that he not only delivers us from these things and puts us on the right track, but also that he can give us the grace to actually want it sometimes, (laughs) (laughs) even when, and especially when it's so hard to do. And, you know, just a thought too, why, you know, in answering the question of why would we want these things? Why would we desire these things? Why is it so important? I think that when we are people who strive, at the very least, are striving for humility, true humility, we become accessible in a better way to other people mm-hmm. around us as well, right? We yeah. are people that others know we are not going to be defensive. We're not going to be judgmental. We're able to think things through with a clear mind. Um, and that makes us safe people, you know? Yes. So, you know, even... Um, aside from the very good and primary goal of trying to grow in holiness, even just on a social level, um, being people of humility uh, really builds strong building blocks and foundations for neighbors and fraternal love amongst other people. Would that we were all a little bit more humble so that we all felt a little bit um, less scared of one another, maybe. (laughs) Yes, actually, in the imitation of Christ, we read that when someone is keenly aware of their own faults and humbles themselves before others, he placates them. It's like what you're saying. Mm. He can appease almost anyone that he might actually have angered. It actually is very disarming. So can we even imagine how different this world would be if instead of going into tense situations, feeling like we're ready to fight, ready to defend ourselves, we went into it with this knowledge of our own faults written all over us. And how Mm -hmm. it does it. It's just like knocks the weapons right out of somebody else's hand. And it does. It just really would open the field up for discussion and trust, like what you're saying. Okay. So speaking of, you know, (laughs) not wanting to do something and then praying for the grace to desire to do it, (laughs) for a lot (laughs) of us, like me, that is going to confession. Um, It is really hard (laughs) to do that. And I'm supposed to be going every two weeks. I do try to go regularly, um, but it is really hard to do. And so for our Catholic listeners, you know, if you are going to grow in humility, you cannot do that without going to regular confession. You just can't. It doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So you have to do that thorough examination of conscience. So one thing a priest I heard once say, and I wish I could remember, this was on a homily years ago on census fidelium, where one um, priest or saint said that he, every time he goes to the confessional, the words he uses are, I accuse myself of, mm. and then he lists each in, I accuse myself To me, this is huge because if we can take total and complete ownership over our sins, then we can face any human judge, any group of our enemies and, you know, God one day and say, I have accused myself of these things to the people on earth. What you can accuse me of means nothing. And to our Lord, I think it's just such a great way to plead for his mercy to be like, I've already accused myself of these things. And so I I jokingly think back to the movie Pitch Perfect and Fat Amy, who says, (laughs) I call myself Fat Amy so that no one can, you know, you're all going to say it anyways. And I know we're jesting Mm. here and it's 
it's not exactly the best example, but I do think about that. Like she's, that's how she stripped the power from their insults. Um, not saying it still doesn't hurt, but she stripped the power from them by calling herself that. So I haven't done it yet because I'm so nervous of going into the confessional and saying it like that. Like no one else has said in 200 years. I mean, like I accuse right. uh, myself, mm-hmm. but I, I think that that is a really interesting way to look at it. Mm-hmm. That's right. And that can only come from humility. You can only accuse yourself when you acknowledge that you're not maybe so great (laughs) as all that. (laughs) So one last thing from Cardinal Vaughn, who wrote the preface to Father um, Gaijin or Father Gaetano, his name is different, um, his book, Humility of Heart. And it said it would actually serve the Christian better to just pick one book, one core message and read and meditate on that one book for two to three years versus trying to learn many different things. And it's like he knew he was speaking to me and to you, right, Michelle? And me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, he said that this book, that Humility of Heart, is a book that he has been reading continuously for 14 years. And <sighs> yeah. And here's a quote from that. He said, we never get a proper hold of a great spiritual doctrine until we have lived in it and been saturated by it. There is the question of breadth, I know, as well as depth, meaning that there is so much ground we'd love to cover, but perhaps we should stay put in this topic, right, Michelle, and go a little deeper. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... We'll do that next week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So that, yeah, that's great. That's a great basis for a two-parter. I love that. <laughs> or maybe thanks, a three-parter. We won't know yet until we get going next <laughs> That's right. This would be a seven-part series. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. We love breadth. We have to work on depth. So we'll just let this, we'll let Jesus take the wheel and we'll yeah. see where this takes us. Great. <laughs> so there's good news. And the good news is that while humility is needed in order to reach sanctification, it is 100% attainable. We are told that faith and hope are necessary, but we develop faith when we see God for who he is, and we hope when we realize that he loves us and wills what is good for us. Do you hear that? He wills what is good for us. Celebrating our faults will never be good for us, despite the temporary feelings of empowerment that this false act of self-love can provide. True self-love should be centered in a desire to become the best version of ourselves. And while we do hear that rhetoric in the culture today, it is a superficial version of ourselves. It is a self that loves drinking green smoothies and celebrates our mom bods. It has nothing to do, though, with a thorough examination of our faults and then a true desire to overcome them. Okay, it's time for our What We're Loving This Week segment of the show. So, Lindsay, what have you been loving this week? Well, I've been talking about her a lot, so you probably won't be surprised, but I stumbled across a YouTube video last week that affected me in a way that few videos ever have. So much so that whenever I've had 20 minutes to rest over the last few days, I have been watching her videos. So her name is Yona Yinton. 
And she is an artist, photographer, filmmaker, and musician who lives in a village of just 10 people in the middle of Sweden. So you watched that first Mm. video, right, Michelle? Oh, yes. Yes. I did. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Just a little more background. So she was raised in a fairly big city and was on her way to just living a regular old life, uh, just living in an apartment and then going to school to work in a hospital. But she longed for the peace she used to feel when she'd visit this one area that her family um, had lived in for 12 generations, this, this small hamlet of 10 people. And so one day she decided that was it. She was going to move up there with no plan, no real money and no idea of what she was going to do, but she was going to seek that out. And so when she got there, she had to learn a whole new set of skills and how to live by herself at that time. And she started a blog and it all started from there. And now she's got this huge uh, YouTube following. But my favorite thing is in one of the interviews with her, she said, my, my goal is to just give people a little bit of the peace I get to feel living here. You know, not everybody can live here. Mm. So if you can turn on my videos and relax for 20 minutes, um, I'm so happy to give that to people and that she does. So you and I love Liziki still. Um, Mm -hmm. She, you know, but I think what I love so much with looking at Liziki, who we've recommended on YouTube before, and now Yona Yinton, um, Mm -hmm. it's just that we get these glimpses into the beautiful world that is, that is around us that we might not get to um, and just how these women do their everyday tasks and their joy in the ordinary and their, the beauty that they find in the ordinary. It's just what a wonderful gift they're giving by sharing that with the world. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. I got that too. This idea of these two fairly young you know, Mm -hmm. uh, YouTube vloggers have stumbled across a really beautiful and interesting balance between industriousness and capability, uh, while also really embracing what it means to live a beautiful and fulfilling life. And I'm fascinated by it from two different ends of the world. So (gasps) yeah, it's very interesting. So what have you been loving this week, Michelle? So taking a bit of a turn. I love when that I always happens. love. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's not too much of a turn, okay. but <laughs> sorry. Like, is it about murder? We haven't talked about no. murder in a while. <laughs> it's not, but the title is so in stark contrast mm-hmm. to like the beautiful, delicate seriousness of yours. <laughs> um, <laughs> we watched a documentary called Me So Hungry. <laughs> It's on Amazon Prime, and we really liked it. So it follows the two-week experiment of comedian Craig Anderson, who is trying to improve his overall health by switching his diet solely to Japanese cuisine. Mm. Now, at the start of the documentary, although he's only in his late 30s, his biological age via medical tests is 64 years old. Yeah, so... In this documentary, he says that Japan has some of the longest life expectancies in the world. And so this whole film centers around him living in Japan for two weeks and trying to discover why that is, why their Mm -hmm. lifestyle is so healthy. Now, perhaps it's because in our house, we are big fans of Japanese food. Mm -hmm. Um, But we loved hearing about the different parts of the culture and what they eat and why it prompted us to try matcha green tea Mm -hmm. this weekend. (laughs) And we loved that, too. So the documentary is also pretty funny in a bit of an awkward, cringy way, because Craig himself is, we'll say, somewhat of a black sheep (laughs) 
when just put into Japanese culture. Like his <laughs> boisterous, comedic personality um, clashes somewhat. And it's clear that many of the people he meets in Japan, they just don't quite know what to make of him and how to react to him. But he's super sweet and it's fun to watch. And yeah, it was just a, a really enjoyable watch for the weekend. Okay, that's going to do it for us this week. If you want to get in touch and chat with us about our topic today, you can find us on our website, www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com, or leave us a comment on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at The Modern Lady Podcast. I'm Michelle Sachs, and you can find me on Instagram at mmsachs. And I'm Lindsay Murray, and you can find me on Instagram at lindsayhomemaker. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week, and we will see you next time. Thank you.